0: both legumes and whole grains, are an excellent source of resistant starches, of soluble fiber, of polyphenols, three different types of prebiotics.
1: Judy is wondering how much water should we be drinking every day to keep things moving along? Does tea or flavored water count?
0: My approach to this is rather simple. Wake up in the morning, and if you're a coffee drinker like me, I love coffee, forget jumping straight into coffee, And have yourself two glasses of water to start your day and you will be amazed
1: welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the physicians committee hi i am the weight loss champion chuck carroll thank you so very much for raising your health iq with us in more than 130 countries around the world a special hello to the exam roomies listening right now in costa rica and Belgium, and even French Guiana. We appreciate everyone who's with us today, helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 92 of season four, number 287 overall. And today we're going to be having some real talk about one of life's little, mm, shall we say, unpleasantries. Who hasn't been backed up at least once or twice? You know what I'm talking about. You sit there and you hope and you wish and you pray for splashdown, but nothing happens. You are hopelessly constipated. So what can you eat to reboot the old system and get things moving once again? We're going to find out and get some relief when we are joined in just a moment by Dr. Will Bolsowitz. He is the best-selling author of the amazing book Fiber Fueled and he is here to tell us the best foods for alleviating constipation. And because this was taped for the exam room live, we're also going to be opening up the doctor's mailbag and that means that Dr. Bolsowitz will also be answering a lot of your other questions like can protein powder cause constipation, and is it possible that eating too much fiber can also stop you up? And then we're going to pivot, switch gears, find out how oil can affect digestion, and then a really fun one, should your poop float or should it sink? And what does that say about your health? Well, Dr. B is going to clue us in. So let's go ahead and kick things off right now. Let's welcome in my friend. He is the Prince of Poop, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. Dr. B, you ready to rock and roll, my man?
0: Let's do it, rock and roll.
1: All right, first question, you know what it is, comes to us from Diana. What foods will help with constipation?
0: Let's just go back to the fundamentals. The most classic of all foods for constipation how could we ever forget, how could we ever forget prunes? I mean, prunes, whether you consume them as prunes, one, two, three per day, um, or you're doing it as a glass of prune juice, it actually works. It actually is a fantastic choice for constipation. I'm seeing a lot of great things here. You guys are commenting on apples from Julie. Apples have a type of fiber called pectin. Uh, so fibers de- f- fiber from apples definitely has been shown to be beneficial. For constipation i'm seeing people mention whole grains mentioning legumes so what i love about these types of foods is that both legumes and whole grains are an excellent source of resistant starches of soluble fiber of polyphenols what i just did there folks is i gave you three different types of prebiotics resistant starches soluble fiber and polyphenols you will find them in whole grains and in legumes and this is the reason why these are microbiome feeding foods all right i'm gonna go a little bit rogue i'm gonna add a few more i see christina has mentioned flax seeds flax seeds uh are really good for constipation and you can either do them whole and they will just pass through or you can grind them up and by grinding them up you are also giving yourself access to the lignans the lignans have multiple beneficial effects on the body in terms of metabolic health and also in terms of preventing hormonal cancers. So you're double dipping. Not only are you improving your gut health, not only are you improving your bowel movements, but you also are improving your metabolism and protecting yourself from some dangerous cancers. We love that. Uh, And I want to add, I'm gonna add chia seeds. So among the omega-3 seeds, right? The omega-3 seeds are chia seeds, flax, which I just mentioned, And hemp seeds, the chia seeds are the highest in fiber content. And the beauty of chia, which I find to be like a gift from nature, I mean, it's almost mystical in quality, is that when you add water, they absorb this water and they transform from a seed into a gelatinous, almost pudding like texture. And so, chia pudding is a fantastic snack that could be enjoyed on a daily basis, giving you the benefits of fiber. And simultaneously omega-3. So that's a beautiful thing. And then the last one that I want to add, Chuck, is I'm gonna add this here. People are saying psyllium husk, of course, psyllium husk it as a supplement can be a wonderful thing in terms of constipation. But my book, fiber fueled, I'm not actually raising this up to promote the book, even though I guess I am tangentially doing that. <laughs> but really, I <laughs> I'm glad you're still there, Chuck. Uh the the reason I'm doing it is because I love this exploding kiwi. I'm very proud of this exploding kiwi, and I remember the day they showed me the cover of this book for the first time, and I was so excited. But kiwi, incidentally, is fantastic for constipation. In fact, they've done studies where they compare uh, the consumption of kiwi, two kiwis per day, to what you can accomplish with medications and supplements for constipation, and the kiwis were just as good. So folks, get some kiwis in your diet. Get that pooping going. Wow. Wow.
1: Who knew the Kiwi was so powerful for constipation? I had no idea. And that, that my friend, that must mean that that is why you are super excited. Not only did the Kiwi look cool, but I mean, if it is that powerful to get things moving again, my man, I think that they nailed that cover.
0: The Kiwi the kiwi is powerful. It is really cool when it's exploiting because let's just be honest, we like exploiting stuff or maybe that's just me. But this is not what it's going to do to your colon, folks. All right. The kiwi is not (laughs) going to make your colon explode. I just want to be completely Ah. transparent uh, in the, in the interest of those who are wondering, like, did Dr. B just say that it's going to make my colon explode? No, it will not.
1: Oh man. Ah, boy, do I love it when you're on the show. Okay. So we just talked about a whole lot of foods, but Judy is wondering how much water should we be drinking every day to keep things moving along? And does tea or flavored water count toward that amount?
0: Yeah, uh, these are good questions, Julie. So, by the way, real quick, Amanda asks with or without the skin on the Kiwis. This is the beauty of being live, you guys. You get to ask questions like this. And um, the answer is that in that study, they actually peeled the skin off, but you're not under an obligation to do that. I, I often will eat my Kiwi with the skin on, but I will buy it organic as a result of that. Um, Chuck, remind me what the question was again.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking a lot about food. We, uh, oh. Judy was asking about water. How much do you need to drink and whether tea or flavored water counts?
0: And there it is right in front of me. So there you go, guys. Um, so how much water do we need to drink? It, you know, let's bear in mind, first of all, that there is actually water content specifically when you're eating whole plant foods, right? Like, for example, if you were to consume a Kiwi, think about the water content that actually exists in that Kiwi at baseline. And the water content that's in whole plant foods does contribute to your water intake during the day. So let's not ignore that, but you know, generally speaking, let's just keep it super simple because if you look at what the Institute of Medicine says, they have different recommendations for different people based upon your age, based upon your gender. Let's keep it super simple. I think it's really good to get eight glasses of water per day, all right? In addition to your diet, eight glasses of water per day. And my approach to this is rather simple. Wake up in the morning, and if you're a coffee drinker like me, I love coffee, forget jumping straight into coffee and have yourself two glasses of water to start your day, and you will be amazed at the difference it can make in terms of your energy levels, feeling more awake and alert, feeling more mentally sharp in the morning, and then you get your coffee going after you have your two glasses of water. Two glasses of water to start the day, two glasses of water with every meal. If you do this, three meals, that's six glasses of water, two glasses at the start, that's eight total, boom, we have accomplished our goal. Complement that with a whole food plant-based diet and you are going to be doing exceptionally well. Um, Now, do tea and flavored water count? Flavored water definitely counts. And it's a great way to jazz up your water and make you feel like you're in a spa when really you're just in your kitchen and it's a regular Wednesday morning. But uh, with regard to tea, it depends on the caffeine content. Caffeine, whether it's coffee, green tea, black tea, or soda, if you drink that, uh, that will actually have a diuretic effect, making you urinate and you pee out more than you drink in. So you might drink 10 ounces of, of tea and then urinate out 12. That's not a net benefit. So when it comes to tea, uh, herbal tea would count towards that, but green tea and black tea would not.
1: So it's the caffeine effect, right? So, uh, you just gotta be careful with the caffeine. That's basically what that boils down to.
0: Exactly. So oh. if it were decaf coffee, then you would, or decaf tea, you would be totally fine. Outstanding.
1: Um, may have touched on this a little bit. Uh, Sophie's question at twelve thirteen: why do I get constipated when I eat too much fiber?
0: Ah, this is a good question. And I love this because, you know, the thing is that I feel that sometimes people uh, assume that because I wrote a book called Fiber Fueled, it must mean that Dr. B just wants to put the gas pedal down all the way on fiber. And my recommendation for every single per- person that comes into my clinic on every single visit is cr- increase your fiber intake and eat a diversity of plants. And that's not actually true. There's nuance to medicine, there's nuance to the way that we take care of people. And we have to make personalized recommendations. So let's talk about fiber so that you guys can have a complete understanding of the way that this works. When you are pooping, fiber is your friend. You keep things moving through. Fiber will help you to keep things going, okay? And it will be feeding your gut microbiome in the process and giving you all of the immunologic and metabolic benefits that come from fiber that I described in great detail in my book. If you are constipated, if it's mild constipation, cranking up your fiber, drinking more water, a little bit of exercise, you should be fine, all right? But the people that I see in my clinic, they don't have mild constipation. They have moderate, if not severe constipation. And when that is the case, they're locked up. The stool is not moving and they start pouring fiber in and the fiber gets stuck. They're still locked up, they're still constipated, But by adding more fiber, they actually produce more gas. They get more bloated. And what's interesting, Chuck, is that this is like something that blew my mind when I learned this, which was well after I finished all my training as a gastroenterologist, all 16 years of it. What's interesting is that methane gas, which is produced by the fermentation that occurs by our gut bugs, methane gas actually slows bowel motility. So when you are constipated you produce more methane gas which slows bowel motility which makes you more constipated which produces more methane gas which slows bowel motility and you end up in this vicious, vicious cycle all right so is the solution to reduce our fiber intake no the solution is to get things moving and once you get things moving fiber becomes your friend again so the point from my perspective is that for people that have moderate or severe constipation, the solution may not be only to crank up your fiber intake. And you may be frustrated when you start increasing your fiber intake and you feel like your constipation is not getting better. That's because you need something more than that. You need to get things going. And many times what I will use to do that, to accomplish that, Chuck, is I will use magnesium.
1: So uh, the the gas, like, so now I'm, I'm kind of like wondering, is it just because the pressure that builds up holds everything in place or what's the actual
0: mechanism there in terms of the gas and the bloating,
1: as far as like holding things, like actually Causing the constipation, like reducing that bowel motility, I think is is the way that you termed it.
0: Yeah, I don't, I, so I don't know exactly what the mechanism is there, but what I can tell you, Chuck, is the research that was done to illustrate this effect. Now, of course, you guys know this about me. I don't stand in favor of animal testing. I'm not in favor of that. Whenever possible, I would prefer to avoid it. But when there are research studies that have results, I will report those results. And they did a research study where they infused methane gas into an animal and by simply infusing methane gas into their bowel, the animals became constipated. And so this is is the research that shows us that when you produce more gas, when you have more methane gas in the system, you actually are slamming the brakes on bowel motility slowing things down and you're contributing to even worsening constipation.
1: Hmm. That said, uh, it is imperative uh, that we do our best to end animal testing in labs. Um, very, very much so uh, important. Thank you for bringing that up, Dr. B. Totally agree. Uh, we have a question from an athlete. This is actually a holdover from your last episode. And this is uh, someone who goes to the gym a lot, protein they want to know, can protein powder, even vegan protein powders contribute to
0: constipation? Oh yeah, definitely. Protein powders can definitely contribute to constipation. And the one thing that I have noticed is that virtually every single protein powder, regardless of the source, by the way, I mean, this could be a plant-based protein powder. uh, They virtually all will cause gas and bloating. And if we go back to what you and I were just talking about 30 seconds ago, Chuck, when you produce more gas and bloating, you are slamming the brakes on bowel motility and you are producing constipation. So this is one of the issues that exists with protein powder. So many of the people who come to my clinic, they will say to me and I'll notice like, you know, this person is like clearly someone who works out quite a bit. And they'll say to me, I'm having gas and bloating. I don't understand why. And the first question for me is, well, the first question is, do you consume dairy? And if the answer is yes, then I tell them get rid of that immediately. But then the second question would be, are you using protein supplements? and when they say yes then i will have the conversation with them that we're having right now which is that this can be the cause of the gas and the bloating and potentially the constipation if you feel that a protein supplement is really necessary then the one that you want to get is a fermented vegan protein the fermentation process reduces the amount of gas and bloat that occurs as a result of the protein and it also enhances the bioavailability of the protein. So you're actually getting more into your system. That being said, the vast, 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 vast majority of us do not need protein supplements. So now, Chuck, I when I was at my top weight, okay, I didn't lose as much weight as you did, but I did lose 50 pounds. I used to weigh 240 pounds. I'm six foot four and I weighed 240 pounds. And I changed my diet and i was actually pescatarian for a few years i went down to about 210 and then when i went completely whole food plant-based i dropped from 210 to 190 that was my high school weight all right so i got back to my high school weight then i got back in the gym i actually wasn't exercising i got back in the gym i started working out i put on 15 pounds of muscle i do not use protein supplements and i don't worry about protein i just eat food and i eat in abundance and variety and guess what calorie for calorie spinach has more protein than beef calorie for calorie spinach has more protein than beef all plants have protein wow wow that's it
1: Yeah, let's isolate that and play that one back every single time. Uh, Timmy, this is also a holdover. Might've been the same person that sent in that last question. My trainer says protein is what you need to eat in order to feel full. But how does that compare to fiber?
0: Yeah. Uh, so actually fiber activates. I, I would argue that fiber is more important. The, the protein thing is not wrong but it's also not true in isolation. It's important to understand our body is not so simple as, oh yeah, take more protein, then you will activate your satiety hormones. That's not true. What we need is we need both protein and fiber, dietary fiber actually through the gut microbiome, through short chain fatty acids, activate the satiety hormones that allow us to feel full. So now, What kind of foods contain both protein and dietary fiber? There's only one answer. Let's see it in the chat box. You guys tell me, what are the foods that contain protein and dietary fiber? And there's only one correct answer. Plants. Plants are the only source of both protein and dietary fiber. All plants contain fiber. All plants contain protein. If your goal is to lose weight, you should be eating more plants. And Kevin Hall, who is a metabolism researcher at the NIH, has done a series of very interesting studies looking at, for example, high-protein diets versus high-carb but whole-food plant-based diets and noting that people lose more fat when they eat a whole-food plant-based diet than when they eat, for example, a low-carb ketogenic diet, which is super high in protein. Boom, done, it's over.
1: I can only speak to constipation here from experience. Like when I was still significantly overweight and eating 10,000 calories a day, you would think that I was always, always, always in the bathroom, just given that volume of food, but nothing could be further from the truth. Like I would go sometimes two and three days without going. And then it was just like, I felt so It was actually a painful experience, Dr. B. What I was talking about was being so constipated when I was still so overweight, despite eating 10,000 calories worth of food every single day and how painful it was, you know, when I actually would be able to go. It was insane to me given the volume of food I was eating and the fact that my body still wasn't enabling me to go. I mean, have you heard about that? Like people who eat just an insane amount of food still being constipated?
0: yeah i mean constipation chuck is epidemic in our country and you know i see people like i literally i'm in the clinic today i'm on call i'm seeing patients today and i saw people today who they poop every day how can i possibly be constipated well like look i i want everyone to understand constipation is not how often you go constipation is the manifestation of symptoms that take place when you are inadequately evacuating your colon. You could go every day, but if you're not completely emptying, you're backing up. And so you can eat a ton of food, you can eat a ton of calories, but if you're not evacuating your colon on a routine, regular basis, you are going to start backing up and it's going to be uncomfortable. And what you ultimately are going to get is you're going to get hard stools and hard stools are hard for anyone to get out. It doesn't matter who you are. And you know, Chuck, I, I would suppose, like going back in time, that that's probably what was happening with you, to be honest with you.
1: It would not surprise me. Uh, Let's take a question here from BO. We've talked uh, about uh, protein supplements, but what about iron supplements at 1224 BO? Wondering whether iron supplements can cause constipation.
0: Super, super constipating. The classic iron supplement is ferrous sulfate. Ferrous sulfate not only is constipating, it also can cause digestive distress, um, independent of constipation. So... Something to be aware of. I'm I'm actually a big fan. In my in my clinic, I don't really use much ferrous sulfate. Um, instead, uh, what I prefer to use is actually a plant-based iron supplement. So I will recommend to my patients that they get a plant-based iron supplement. It's actually a liquid, and combine that with vitamin C. So it's kind of interesting. Vitamin C, which you get from citrus foods, actually enhances the bioavailability of non-heme iron that you will find in other plant foods, like for example, greens. So if you have a salad with greens and you do a squirt of lemon on top as you're dressing, you actually are not only getting something that's flavorful and delicious, but you also are enhancing the availability of these nutrients. And so it's just, nature is very intelligent.
1: Here's a fun question from Ann Pearl at 1220. A little bit of a change of pace. Is there a correlation between the smell of the poop and the food that you are eating in a particular day?
0: uh yes there definitely is there are different smells to our to our gas that we pass and you know (laughs) no no debating or disputing that at times you can run across a um gas uh, a gas that you pass that's that's foul and many times that's sulfur related and so now this this can be you know related to what's happening in people who consume meat for example particularly red meat where you know effectively what's happening inside your digestive system is that that meat that you consumed is now like rotting and decomposing except it's inside your body and um, that can ultimately lead to these foul smelling farts gas Um, but i mean there's other things too that could potentially contribute so sulfur containing foods like garlic um, and alien vegetables can also contribute to those types of things. That's not to say that we avoid the alien vegetables. It's just something to be aware of that if you were to consume a very large amount of sulfur-containing foods, you may notice that smell on a gas.
1: Porfirio at twelve fifteen. What are some other foods that may cause constipation? We talked a lot about helping it, but now what are the ones that we should be avoiding?
0: High fat foods, Fat actually slows down bowel motility. So, and when I say high fat foods, I'm not referring to any, uh, plants food, because guess what? If it's a whole plant like avocado or seeds and nuts, right? They may be high in fat, but guess what? They're also high in fiber. The fiber content in an avocado is fantastic. So I'm not saying that avocados and, and seeds and nuts cause constipation. What I am saying is that fat, which you may get from, um, you know, oil or from animal products these types of things can certainly contribute to constipation.
1: That brings us to Natasha's question, also at 1215. She is wondering how oil affects digestion.
0: Um, There are different types of oil to um, uh, act as if all oil is the same would not be accurate. And some types of oil I would describe as inflammatory. And some types of oil, when consumed in a very limited amount in moderation, can actually be anti-inflammatory, and I think that the the studies support that. So really, what I'm saying here is that there's a hierarchy, and at the top of the hierarchy, I I would put olive oil, and extra virgin olive oil. Now, something that may surprise some people, uh, in the last few years, coconut oil has been very popular. I mean, to the point that people are like putting coconut oil into their coffee, or putting coconut into coconut oil into uh, a smoothie, and just like throwing it in there coconut oil is saturated fat. I mean, it is predominantly saturated fat. We know, Chuck, that saturated fat in our preclinical studies is actually harmful to the gut microbiome. And most of the time when we talk about saturated fat, we're really talking about the fat that you find in animal products. But you can find saturated fat in plant-based sources that includes coconut oil and palm oil. And so for those reasons, I actually try to avoid those specific types of oil whenever possible.
1: All right, I'm gonna go ahead and award Teresa with the question of the day award. This is from 12:30, and it is fantastic. I cannot believe that nobody has asked this yet on the show. Question: Should your poop float or should it sink?
0: <laughs> you know what? This is such a it, we we all feel. Um, we may not admit this. We may not talk about it socially with our friends. Perhaps we talk about it with like our immediate family, just because that's our inner circle. Most of us feel very interested in what our poop means and what it says about us. Um, If you have poop that floats and you simultaneously notice an oil slick on the surface, so like literally it looks like someone poured oil into the toilet bowl, that can be indicative of pancreatic insufficiency, meaning that the pancreas is not producing enough digestive enzymes to help you to absorb your fat. Most of the time when people have floating bowel movements, it's really not a concern. And I don't, I don't personally get worried as a gastroenterologist that it's indicative of some greater problem typically when a person has some sort of greater problem when we manifest it in our bowel movements which which by the way i think is like literally i would make this a vital sign paying attention to our bowel movements to me is as important as paying attention to our blood pressure or our heart rate but when i'm paying attention to it i want to know the form the shape i want to know how often a person is going there's something by the way called the bristol stool scale that you can look at and it's seven different types of bowel movements type one is very constipated type seven is diarrhea type four is where we're supposed to be so i want to look at that and um and I, I would look to see like is there blood <clears throat> is there mucus is there evidence of oil or oil at the surface um if you are having good regular evacuations and the only thing that you notice is that your stool is floating, honestly, it's probably nothing. Unless you're suffering from other symptoms as well, if you have other symptoms, those would be grounds to go and talk it over with your doctor.
1: Let's see here, uh, fasting—that's really popular. I love this question also from Sophie twelve twenty nine. Can fasting potentially help with constipation, Doctor B? Uh,
0: so it's. It's something where, if it's going to help, you will notice the difference within a few days. And the advantage of fasting, you know, it kind of depends on what kind of fasting we're talking about. There are many different forms of fasting. I'm going to assume here that what we're referring to is time restricted eating, which basically means that there is a specific window of time during the day during which you're consuming food. And then there is a second, second, uh, additionally, a window of time where you are not consuming food the window where you are not consuming food is typically on the order of 12 to potentially up to 16 or more hours per day. All right, that is time-restricted eating. Now, I'm of the belief, based upon the available literature, I mean, I do want more high-quality human studies, based upon the literature that's available today in 2021, I'm of the belief that giving our gut a rest is a good thing for our gut microbes. When we enhance the health of our gut microbiome, we may find it reflected in the health of our bowel movements. 60% of the weight of our stool is not the excrement from your food. 60% of the weight of our stool is actually microbes from our gut. So what we see when we have our bowel movement is you are actually seeing a direct reflection of your gut microbiome in a way. Something that enhances the health of your gut microbiome may reflect in better bowel movements.
1: Speaking of microbes, we have a good question from Valley that was in the doctor's mailbag wants to know, will you still get beneficial microbes if you peel fruits and vegetables?
0: There are a lot of benefits to the, the peel or the surface of the fruit or the vegetable. Many times that's where you will find the polyphenols. Um, And there certainly is fiber, and there is no question about that. So, generally speaking, I don't want people to peel the surface and remove it. But of course, like we could go down the line of so many different. I mean, gosh, there's like literally three hundred thousand edible plants on this planet. We're not going to run through all of them to to describe what is in your best health interest in terms of the way that you prepare it, the way that you cook it. But generally speaking, I think that it's in our best interest to maintain those things. Now, one thing that's kind of interesting, Chuck. I've mentioned this before on the show, but I'm sure that there are many people here, this is, this is their first time. They did a study looking at apples and they found that the apple has a microbiome. The apple has a hundred million microbes in its microbiome. When we consume that apple, we actually are transferring those microbes into our digestive system. And when you do stool testing, you will find that those microbes are actually visible. They're apparent in the stool testing that we do so like there is transfer of microbes from our dietary uh from the things that are in our diet what was interesting in this apple study chuck is that the microbes were not where you would expect them to be you would expect them to be on the surface and they were not they were actually mostly in the core which is the part that we throw out if you feel so inclined to consume the core of your apple you certainly can it's not going to harm you And what you may get as a result is a burst of living food, living microbes that can support your digestive health.
1: All right, let's see if we can take uh, two more really quickly before we wrap things up for the day. And we're going to go all the way back to Joanna. She was uh, very early to hop on today, an hour and a half before we went live here. Uh, Joanna, at 1030 this morning, are sugar alcohols okay for the gut? And what about stevia and monk
0: fruit? So the reality is that, that most of us have a sweet tooth, and um most of us are going to have some sort of added sweetener that we use in our diet. I mean, it's quite difficult to completely get away from. Um, when it comes to sugar alcohols, there are sugar alcohols that exist in normal healthy food in our diet. And from my perspective, there is no concern about those foods, right? There is no plant that you can consume in whole food form that I am aware is actually harmful for your health. And I mean, of course I'm talking about the edible plants, but like there is no evidence that eating whole food plants are actually gonna make your health worse. It's always good for you. Sugar alcohols that are extracted using a chemical process that none of us know how to do. I was a chemistry major in college. I have no clue how they do this, Chuck. When they extract these chemicals from the food and they isolate it, that is a different story. And the evidence from my perspective would suggest that these are harmful to the gut microbiome. Now, is there room for more research? Of course there is. There always will be. We're working with what we got today and we will know more tomorrow. But where we stand today is that the evidence would suggest that these are harmful for the gut microbiome. If I am forced to choose an added sweetener, Among them, I think that stevia and monk fruit are very reasonable choices. Additionally, erythritol. There is no evidence that erythritol actually gets down to your gut microbiome. It's absorbed much earlier within your gut. And so that is beneficial when it comes to protecting your gut microbiome. But the last thing I would say is in a perfect world, we avoid the added sweeteners and we instead opt for whole foods. If you need a sweetener, dates are a wonderful choice, and they also contain fiber.
1: Those medjool dates in particular are so good. So, didn't you give us a recipe once um, for like a, a Snickers swap or a Snickers <laughs> hack that involved a date and and like a peanut or something crazy like that?
0: Yeah, let's do it again right now. So, this is so simple, you guys. I absolutely love. I absolutely love this, and I think that this is like a look. The reality is that. Many of us have sweet toots. We want to enjoy something after the meal, right? A little dessert once in a while. And that's okay. That's okay. But we just want healthy substitutions where possible. So quite simply, Chuck, you take a date, you split it open, okay? And then what you do is you wipe a schmear, that is the technical term, a schmear of your favorite nut butter, which could be peanuts, could be almond, cashew, whatever it may be. You wipe a schmear on the inner part of that date and then you sprinkle some chocolate chips on top you want to add some additional stuff like some sesame seeds be my guest okay but these are these are what i describe as snickers bites and they actually are in my book fiber fields one of the recipes i just gave it to you right now though what the heck dates schmear of nut butter dark chocolate chips Try it and report back to me. You will love it. And they will remind you of Snickers
1: bars. (laughs) Man, that's the fun thing about the plant-based diet is there's so many fun ways to still get the flavors that you've been enjoying your entire life, just on a scale that is infinitely healthier than what you had been eating. So, I mean, I just, I love that so very much.
0: See, the thing is, Chuck, like literally this is, this is the most winning of ever, uh, type of desserts that you can do because like you can get in your car and you can drive down to the store and you can spend a $1.99 for a Snickers bar right and eat that and it's absolute junk and it's damaging your gut microbiome it's not good for your body or alternatively on the flip side you can have some dates some peanut butter and some dark chocolate chips and like literally it takes you 1 minute to prepare this 1 minute zero effort and what you have in the dates is you have dietary fiber, feeds your gut microbiome, you have healthy fats in your nut butter, and you have the polyphenols, which are in the are, are in the dark chocolate, again, feeding your gut microbiome. You have a microbiome food, but it tastes wonderful. You get to enjoy it. All right. Final question. Uh, switching gears.
1: So we went uh, from sweet, now let's do something a little bit more sour. Uh, you were talking last time about uh, how you were a big fan of making sauerkraut. Kota Miraju, I hope I'm getting that right, has the question, does adding salt water to the cabbage kill the bacteria that it has?
0: Uh, No, actually it brings the ecosystem. So, okay, this is, I love this question because it's the perfect time of year for us to talk about this because people who are in the Northern Hemisphere, and there may be some people in Australia, I love you guys, but people who are in the Northern Hemisphere, we're in sauerkraut season. This is sauerkraut season. This is the perfect time to get and pick up this new hobby. And the beauty of sauerkraut is that it's so ethereal. It is completely just easy to do and you are creating an ecosystem in a jar. So if you take cabbage and you start with a head of cabbage, living on that cabbage right now are the microbes that you need to transform it from cabbage which is crunchy. And we all know the flavor of cabbage, right? Transform it from that into that sour, vibrant, alive flavor that you get from sauerkraut. The microbes are already there. Nature prepared it for us. All we have to do is chop up the cabbage and add it to a 2% brine solution, submerge, submerge the cabbage, keep it completely underwater. Those microbes, they come to life. And there is a series of steps that are involved so like, for example, there's a, an initial microbe that will occur in the first three days that produces a lot of gas. So what you'll notice in the first few days of producing sauerkraut is that you'll go and check it out. It'll be like 24 or 48 hours after you started. And you're going to start to see bubbles cr- bubbles that are popping up in the ferment. All right. That's this first wave of, of microbes, which is called wuconistock. Wuconistock. So, but then the second wave of microbes comes in and that includes lactobacillus plantarum. Lactobacillus plantarum, you will find in many probiotic supplements where you spend $50 a month to get access to lactobacillus plantarum. Why spend $50 a month? Make some sauerkraut. You can buy a head of cabbage for three bucks and you put it outside in your garage in a mason jar. You give it seven days, okay, of fermentation, you taste it. If it tastes sour and it's to your delight, you can put it in the fridge if you want to. But me personally, I like to keep going. Sauerkraut, much like wine, keeps getting better with age. So to me, three weeks, four weeks, I'll go out there once a week, take the, get a little taste, see where it's at. It keeps getting better. And I'm just going to tell you, like if you start doing this, you will become addicted. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's not my fault. And it's a good thing. It's a superfood
1: sauerkraut is so good. It it really is. Uh, And I see Susan in the chat room is saying kimchi is also wonderful to make at home as well. Um, But Dr. B very excited here because we're headed into the fall in just a couple of weeks. We've got Thanksgiving, the holiday season is here. And you're doing a little something, something called fiber fueled for the holidays. Tell us about that.
0: Yeah, I actually just announced it to my email list um, that I'm bringing this back. So I actually did this last year, Chuck. Uh, I did uh, fiber fields for the holidays. And basically, we had a series of meetings, educational webinars. Um, and also, I gave people recipes that they could use at the holidays. These are the recipes that I literally cooked myself for my family on Thanksgiving. And um, so like lentil loaf is one of them, these mashed potatoes that are incredible. Uh, Brussels sprouts. Okay. So bottom line is like, I want to get people set up to have a wonderful holiday season, Thanksgiving, Christmas, time with family, having fun, but also doing it in a way where it doesn't come at the expense of our health. How do we accomplish that? Well, that's what this is all about. So I'm building off of what we did last year. We got amazing feedback from the people who did this last year with us. We're building off of that, we're adding more recipes, I'm adding additional, uh, a live webinar, which will be next next Monday. So for people who are interested, you can come to my website, theplantfedgut.com to learn more or just follow me on social media because I'll be sharing about it in the next few days.
1: Outstanding. The plantfedgut.com, or you can hop on Instagram, The MD. a phenomenal follow there as well. And in the episode notes, the show description right now, you will also find a link to pick up a copy of Fiber Fueled, Great for Yourself, also makes the perfect holiday gift to give the gift of health this year. Why not? Dr. B, appreciate you being here, my man. You are a rock star as always.
0: It's my pleasure, Chuck. Always fun to be here. And I thank all these wonderful people who came to join us live today. Thank you for your comments. Thank you for engaging you guys. Love y'all and look forward to seeing you again next month.
1: Links to everything we talked about on the show today can be found in the episode notes. And don't forget to join us for the exam room live every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on YouTube and on Facebook. That is your best chance to ask experts like Dr. Bolsowitz your questions. And you can also send me your questions ahead of time. Find me on Twitter or Instagram. I am at Chuck Carroll WLC. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Exam Room podcast by the Physicians Committee, what are you waiting for? Subscribe right now on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. It is time now to take a look at what else is new in the world of nutrition. And for that, we are going to head to the exam room news desk. There is new hope today that your golden years don't have to be filled with gobs of medication. A study published in the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine shows that seniors who eat a plant-based diet tend to be prescribed significantly fewer medications than those eating a traditional diet. Using data for more than 300 seniors, researchers at the Loma Linda University-Dreason Center discovered that those foregoing meat and dairy were able to reduce their medication by 58%. The study's authors believe the benefits shown by a plant-based diet to help chronic illness are likely the key here. Vegan diets are scientifically proven to help improve blood sugar, blood pressure, weight, cholesterol, and other conditions associated with poor health. You also have to figure that from just a cost standpoint alone that this is a major victory. You look at the estimates out there showing that people who are 65 years or older tend to spend north of $13,000 every year just on medical costs. And that's just the average there. Those who are living with chronic conditions can wind up spending far more than that. And I was reading an article recently in AARP And they were saying that the annual cost for just one brand-name medication, just one, is $5,800. Almost $6,000 for just one prescription. But this study shows that a plant-based diet can help you save big-time money while improving your health because you are less likely to have conditions that require medication. 58% reduction in the amount of medicine for people who ate a plant-based diet according to this research. That is something. And you can find a link to that study right now in the episode notes. I can't think of a better way to end this show than on that note. That is super positive. So for today... That is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Will Bolsowitz for being here and answering so many of your questions and getting us moving again. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant based.